Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 here in just a moment. Guys, um, we need a firm place to stand. We as human beings, we as couples, we as families, we need a firm place to stand, a place that is full of truth and goodness, something that will endure, something that will not change, to place ourselves on the foundation of Jesus Christ and all that He has called us to do and to be inside of our lives. Guys, so much of the cultural whirlwind around us really is about, in the minds of many, about actual radical change, change on significant and structural levels. And the hope so often is, well, if we just change more structures, we're going to finally reach that position of true and absolute justice and absolute equity and total utopia if we just continue to change the structures around us. And so that's so much of the cultural whirlwind around the church right now. But something incredible happens when we pay attention to God's Word and to the life of the early church. You see, guys, the early church and the world in which they lived, that Roman world, they saw something different. They saw something so much more powerful than political upheaval and change. The early church saw what Paul saw were individuals no matter their station in life, following Jesus Christ in radical and often very countercultural ways. Guys, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be reminded of some of these foundational truths from time to time. God's rule in my life is primary for me. It needs to be primary. Discipleship in my daily life means my transformation in growth. And as that transformation happens, it actually has an opportunity to spill over into the lives of those around me, in my marriage, in my home, and then in the rest of my community. As a follower of Jesus Christ, this is an interesting direction of change. This is an interesting direction of, of transformation that the church sees, that Christ gives us. Guys, I don't expect the world to change for me. I plan on allowing the Holy Spirit to change what is wrong in me so that my marriage and my family and my community can benefit from that. I expect the Holy Spirit to change what's wrong inside of me so that that transformation can then begin to spill out around me and around us. This morning in our passage of Scripture, we're going to expand our view of what the Apostle Paul gives us for wives and husbands and marriage into Christ in the church as well. That's the bottom line for the Apostle Paul in this passage in Ephesians chapter 5. So here are some of the thoughts that are to give some guidance to what we deal with this morning. We're going to talk again about wives and husbands, but now we're going to talk about love specifically, the kind of love that Christ gives us and shows us. You see, the love that Paul calls for here is a proactive, Christ-like love. The love that we are called to give reflects the love that Christ gives us. Our love is not a reaction. Our love for our spouses and our families is not transactional. I'll give you this if you give me this. Our love is proactive and it's sacrificial because that's what Christ shows us. So we do not love... 
We do not show love in our marriages and in our families in order to get something from our spouses or our families, but because Christ first loved us. This is radical love. This is radical behavior inside of the family. This is unique commitment to our homes and to our families. So wives and husbands and love. And then Paul's bottom line in this passage, Christ in the church. Paul's belief is that marriage was created by God to reflect the mystery of Christ in His church. It's astounding, really, what Paul gives us here. So that we believe that this institution, marriage in the family, as God has designed it and given it to us, is worth defending both in our homes and in the public square and worth living out well. It's worth our time and effort and energy to make it work as well as we possibly can. So we speak of Christ and the church in really astounding ways in this passage. So let's jump back into the text in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, chapter 5, verse 22, the text goes like this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives sh- should submit in everything to their husbands. All right, I have about three hours worth of material on this, so buckle up, people. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. Wives, submit to your husbands. It dawns on me that we often read this passage of Scripture through a very particular lens, and it's, it's the kind of lens where we read about wives and we read about husbands, and something in the back of our minds ends up doing this. We think, oh, so that's what they're supposed to do for me. If we're a husband, we read this passage, we think, oh, well, that's the kind of wife I need. That's, the, that's what my wife is supposed to do for me. If we're a wife... We read this text about husbands, we say, oh, that's, that's what my husband is supposed to do for me. I think it's important for us to change our perspective. Instead of thinking of terms of reading this and going, that's supposed to be you. <laughs> we're supposed to read this passage, and we're supposed to think something like, this is what I am supposed to be. We change our perspective we change our, our, the, the priorities that we place upon this as we read this individually. You see, guys, when we read this, and we read it as a list of expectations for our spouse, we end up creating, oftentimes, these tension-filled, unmeetable expectations for the person that we are married to. This is who you're supposed to be. This is what you're... Why are you arguing me with me? This is what you're supposed to do for me. This is who you're supposed to be. And when we build the wrong kinds of expectations into our relationships, those kinds of expectations just turn into future disappointments, right? That's what the wrong kinds of expectations are. They're just future frustrations. When we read the text like that through the lens of what someone else is supposed to be, we build the wrong forms of expectations for each other, and we sometimes give ourselves a pass, and we refuse to see, as Christ puts it in the Sermon on the Mount, we refuse to see the log that is in our own eye. So we view it through the lens of what someone else is and they're supposed to be instead of through the lens of what is Christ calling me to do? What is Christ calling me to be inside of my marriage? So the question is this, what is God calling me to do in these relationships? 
what if I could do this? What if I could live like this? In service to Christ first and foremost, instead of reciprocation for good behavior received. Does that make sense? Because oftentimes we do this. We think this implicitly, explicitly. I will give you a certain form of submissive or sacrificial love or respect if I first receive that from you. It is, I will respond to you in love if I receive it from you. It is transactional. It is this famous quid pro quo. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Guys, the matter of discipleship, even just in general, our following of Jesus Christ, our spiritual disciplines, are not transactional with other people. They are sacrificial. They are proactive. This is who I am supposed to be, and whether or not I receive in return what I think I'm supposed to receive, Christ is calling me to be this person. Christ is calling me to act like this, like Christ in this relationship here and now, and whatever happens next is going to be between God and everybody else. This is profound stuff. This is often difficult stuff for us to do because we prefer the transactional. We prefer the reactionary. But to be proactive in this way, to see, as someone put it recently as I heard them speak, she said, marriage is actually an extension of my faith. What if my marriage is an extension of my relationship with Jesus Christ? This comes first and foremost, and then what I give flows out of my spiritual growth, my spiritual maturity, what Christ has called me to do and to be. So when we, pe- when we speak of submission, And as the Apostle Paul completes his thought at the end of verse 33, he clarifies what he means by submission by using this term, respect. Submission in terms of respect is given to the husband. It is a gift, Paul says, that the wife gives to her family as she follows Jesus Christ. It is not destructive, it is not intended to be abusive, it is not intended to be rolled over by, it is intended to be a gift that is given, first of all, to Christ and then to a family. This language that Paul uses of head is really interesting in this passage of Scripture. It's very controversial in a lot of ways because this is a term that is used in two or three different fashions throughout the New Testament. It is a word that can mean both authority and source of, or what the idiom means is source of life. So Christ is both our authority and the source of my life in Him. And it appears that Paul's primary concern when he speaks of human beings, wives and husbands, he's speaking of that notion of source, and we'll explain what that means here in just a minute. Because, guys, we've got to recognize this. Christ is our complete and absolute authority. There is no other human being who fits that definition of authority, right? It's Christ and Christ alone. But there is this sense between us that there is this source of life that comes inside of marriage. So husbands can't be, should not try to be, an authority the same way in which Christ is our complete authority. In fact, 
Husbands later on in this passage are called to this kind of sacrificial love to lay down their own lives for their wives and for their families. So Paul is not calling them to be lords over, to exercise dominion over. That's not what Paul is calling husbands to do. In this original context, if you were a wife who has been saved out of the the Roman paganism that you were born into, saved out of the family structure. Let's say your entire family has now become followers of Jesus Christ. There was a way of life that you were used to before you became a follower of Christ, before Christ became the head of your home. Wives had very little access to the public square. They had very little access to what we would call education or work or equal value inside of society. So quite often, the value that a wife had in culture came through her husband's status. It came through the way her husband treated her and the rest of her family. And the more you understand about how the Roman world and the Roman family and the Roman structure worked, that was often very abusive and very dysfunctional. And so when now we speak of husbands as a head of a wife or of a family, we're speaking now of a very different treatment of others by Christian husbands. That now there is the source of opportunity and life and equal in value behavior that comes inside of the Christian home that was radically different from the life that they used to live. So what if now the husband is loving and sacrificial as Christ has been instead of demeaning and domineering as he would have very easily been in the Roman culture around them or the Roman culture, the life that they lived before Jesus Christ. So Paul is actually bringing redemption into the home. He's not calling for domination. He's calling for redemption inside of the home. In fact, guys, there is a word that as I read through this, as I process through what this means, there is a word that keeps coming to my mind over and over and over again. And it belongs to both wives and husbands in this passage of Scripture. But when we speak of this, we speak of this being the call of the wife to selflessness under Christ. There is so much in this passage that is calling men and women and husbands and wives into a relationship of proactive selflessness. Instead of the selfishness, instead of the arrogance, instead of everything else that is so natural to our broken, sinful creature, that is so natural to the way of life that belongs to marriage outside of the Christian home, Paul says now inside of the Christian home there is a way of selflessness. Now, it's very difficult for a sermon to turn into a hyper-specific counseling session. So here's how you do this. Here's what you say. And when this is said, this is how you respond, right? And there are others who can do that much better than I can. But as a pastor who really only has about five and a half hours of your time on this particular Sunday morning, there's only a few things we can say and some big ideas I want to make sure that we hear. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to proactive selflessness inside of our marriages. And this is the wife's call to proactive selflessness. There is something dynamic that is happening in this passage that is fixing something 
that happened at the very beginning of this story. Guys, the pattern of Ephesians chapter 5 is trying to reverse the curse of our fall out of the Garden of Eden. When you go back to that moment and you read the, the sin, the break of Adam and Eve with each other and between them and God, and God shows up and his heart is broken, and he pronounces these curses upon the serpent and Eve and Adam and casts them out of the garden. There's fascinating things said there, but part of what God tells Eve is this. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the last phrase of that verse says this, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. This is a heartbreaking moment in Genesis chapter 3 for every conceivable reason. But this is fascinating. You see, guys, Adam and Eve were created in God's first institution of marriage and family. We dealt with this last week. This is God's first institution. He uses this institution to build the rest of society and culture. But Adam and Eve and their union were created for perfect mutuality and perfect relationship. The entrance of sin into their relationship brought with it what becomes a natural strife and it's a strife of rule and frustration. So here's part of what's happening with the work of the Holy Spirit inside of the Christian home. Here's part of what God is trying to do inside of our lives. Instead of the desire to rule, there is submission and respect. And instead of ruling, there is sacrificial love. There is something dynamic happening in Ephesians chapter 5 for us in total. So Paul brings us back in this passage to the power of God's design and what is possible when we walk with each other under Christ. This becomes a firm place to stand in marriage and family. The definition and description and outworking of what marriage and family looks like is not infinitely flexible. There is a place to stand that is eternally sure and secure because God has designed it as such, and it is good. And whatever brokenness we have in our past, whatever brokenness we have with us now, God's desire inside of our home is for the restoring of what was broken by sin. And here's part of how this happens. This is what Paul is describing to us in Ephesians chapter 5. So he speaks to wives, and and here again, okay, this echo that begins in this passage that grows to a crescendo by the end of this passage. He's going to end up talking about Christ and us, Christ and the church. So verse 25, the story continues. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, 
just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. And Paul reaches all the way back to that story in the beginning in Genesis. He shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. So now he says, husbands, love your wives and love them the way that Christ loved the church. And it is in this context of how Christ loves us and what his love does for us that goes uh, through the rest of this chapter and extends to this beautiful story of what it is that Christ's love accomplishes for us. And this is this notion of agape love. That's the word love that is, that, that is passed through this entire passage. That Greek word agape is used in the New Testament to describe God's kind of love for us. That's the word that is used most often to describe God's sacrificial love for us. That is the word that is used very often in the New Testament to describe the kind of love that we owe each other. Agape love. Christ's kind of love for us. So we're thinking again about what what Christ is putting back together, what had been broken. You see, sin us ushered in mastery or rule into the marriage relationship and the home, but the love of Christ replaces it with this voluntary and proactive selfless sacrifice. That's what the love of Christ does inside of our homes. He replaces all of that junk with voluntary, proactive, selflessness, this kind of sacrificial love inside of the home. This phrase, every time I go through this passage, as I've gone through it the last two weeks, there are a couple of these phrases that just keep jumping out at me. Paul says this kind of love actually sanctifies. This is the sanctifying love of Jesus Christ for us. And he says there's something sanctifying about it when a husband is able to love his wife and take care of his family like this. Now, sanctification is a word that's common in the New Testament, but very rarely do we use the word sanctify in our daily vocabulary. So we need to make sure we understand what this means. To sanctify something is to take it from unholy purposes and cleanse it and set it aside for holy purposes. To take it from something that is broken, to fix it, redeem it, and make it something whole and right. So this is the story of God making us his children, of God saving us and sanctifying us. We are now set aside for his purposes, no longer for the purposes of the world, but for the purposes of Jesus Christ. This is the process of sanctification in our lives. So it says here that Christ sanctifies us by his sacrifice, makes us his children, makes us fit for his purpose. And there's something, guys, that is possible. When a husband's love is able to set his marriage and his home aside for God's presence and for God's work. 
When a husband learns, when a father learns what it means to love his wife and love his family, with this kind of sacrificial love, it's like clearing the air of himself. It's like clearing the air of brokenness, of selfishness, and, and setting the stage for, opening the space for the work of the Holy Spirit inside of his family, inside of himself, his wife, his family. There's something sanctifying about Christ's sacrificial love. Guys, this is part of what's possible inside of a Christian home. It's beautiful. And here again we see this. It is selfless. The husband loves his wife not so that he can get her to change into the person he really needs her to be, right? But he loves his wife and his family so that the Holy Spirit has access to do what only the Holy Spirit can do inside of that home. And guys, I've got to tell you, as we speak of this kind of sacrificial, selfless love, it's very hard to do because it it places responsibility on my shoulders to be this kind of person no matter what happens next. Okay, that's difficult. It allows me to hold my family and the rest of my life and all the, the, the consequences, the effects with an open hand and to give access to the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do instead of grabbing hold of things and trying to mold and fix and manipulate and change and make sure they become the person I need them to be. That is control. This is release. This is allowing the Holy Spirit It's hard. It doesn't always go the way we want it to, but it is the call that God gives us. So he even says this is the kind of love that that someone has for his own body. The two have become one in physical, spiritual, and emotional ways. And so love for his wife is love for his own body. Mistreatment of the wife becomes mistreatment of his own body, of himself, so to speak. So this is the gift that husbands are called to give wife and family. It is how he follows Christ and helps his family into the work of God for their lives. We would never say that there is weakness in Christ's sacrifice for us. So then we would never say that there is weakness in a husband's sacrifice for his family. And Paul says there in verse 32, I want to make sure we hear this this morning. He says, look, this is what I'm talking about. The mystery is profound. And I am saying that this, this institution, this way of living with each other, it refers to Christ and to his church. It really should amaze us that God has designed it to be like this. That there would be such significant overlap between human marriage and the union between Christ and in the church. It should amaze us that there is this divine institution that God has given us that is intended to be a continual and constant and cross-cultural and as long as humans exist, everlasting example of Christ and His church. This is what Paul says marriage and family becomes as we do it the way Christ wants us to do it. So in that context, we think again of submission and sacrificial love. We think of this agape love and selflessness that he has called us to. Guys, the act of his Savior on my behalf 
to sanctify me by his sacrifice, to make me part of his bride and his church, and to be with me for eternity. This is what God is calling us to do. Now, you just put it like this, and it sounds like a children's story. You know, he has come and sacrificed himself for me so that I might become a part of his bride, the church, so that Christ would be with me forever and ever. It sounds like a kid's story. But like C.S. Lewis would probably put it, all good kids' stories are based on the most important and beautiful truths. That this is what Christ has done for us. So Christ sanctifies us. And the way Paul puts it in this passage of Scripture in verse 26, he says that he sanctifies us by the washing of the water of his word. It's a fascinating turn of phrase inside of this passage of Scripture. On Tuesday nights in the last few weeks, we've been walking through Solomon in the building of the temple. So we've been talking about the architecture of the temple. We've been reading very long and boring passages of Scripture about bowls and labors and cubits and on and on and on and on, right? But there's something amazing about the way the temple is structured. The closer you get to the physical structure, the interior of the temple, before you walk into the front doors of the temple, right outside there are these two gigantic pieces of furniture that sit out front. And these two pieces of furniture have to be dealt with before you can walk into the presence of God. One of them is this giant bowl of water. It is the brazen sea. And the other is the brazen altar. This is where the sacrifices happen. The priests would wash themselves and the sacrifices in the water. And the sacrifices would be burned and the blood would be shed upon this altar. And it is through the washing and it is through the sacrifice and the shedding of blood that now the image is we can actually enter into the presence of God. And so this is what Christ has done for us. He's washed us by the water of his word. The rest of scripture gives us this image that by the shedding of his blood, he sanctifies us. He is the final sacrifice and through the washing and through the shedding of his blood, we are now able to enter into the presence of God. This is the work of Jesus Christ inside of our lives. So we're washed by the water of his word. Guys, we need to be in the word of God. We need to be in the word God. We need to be reading this as individuals. We need to be in this word as couples. We need to be in the word of God as families because there is something divine about this. This book itself is not a divine idol, but what this book is is a revelation of God to his people about who he is, about his plan for us, what he is like, what he does, what he wants, who Jesus Christ is, and we need to be in this book because there's washing in it. There is sanctifying in it. There is cleansing in this word as it becomes an entryway for the work of the Holy Spirit inside of our lives. So Christ sanctifies us. And then, guys, this matter of submission to Christ belongs to all of us. My submission to Christ is submission to Him as absolute and complete authority. That's an important thought. My submission to Christ is submission to Him as my absolute and complete authority. You know, the context here of Christ and His church and marriage is interesting. 
Because if Christ is not my complete and absolute authority, that means that there are other idols in my life. There are other gods in my life, small g gods. There are other things in my life that take precedence over Christ and his authority in my life. And guys, what is probably the most common image used in the Old Testament of idol worship is spiritual adultery. God says, that's what this is like if I am not your God. Your one and only God. So my submission to Christ is submission to Him as complete and absolute authority. And this submission doesn't come from frightfulness, but what it does is it comes from love and it comes from anticipation what is possible in this relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to what God, Christ tells His disciples in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I said, I want that. I want that. This is anticipation. So I will now submit myself. I will now work in the word of God and in prayer to submit myself wholly and completely to the things of Christ because it means freedom. It means truth. It means a firm place to stand no matter what swirls around us. What a beautiful promise. And God, Christ's, guys, Christ's cleansing is absolutely incredible. That Christ would take a heart like this that quite frankly, and I know most of you don't struggle with this kind of thing, but this heart stumbles in repentance, right? I find myself needing to come back to this place over and over and over again. That Christ would take a heart like this and shed his own blood for it. That he would wash this heart in his word and then present me as spotless, without spot, without wrinkle, before my heavenly Father. You know the stains that are on your soul. You know the spots. You know the wrinkles. You know the, you know the ashes. What once used to be beautiful seems now it's been burned and is just a pile of ash. But what Christ does with that soul is he sacrifices himself so he can turn a pile of ash into something beautiful. So he can wash away every spot, every stain, every wrinkle. This is the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. This is what this makes possible. The church itself, the relationship that each one of us have to the Heavenly Father, the possibility of the vibrant and divine relationship between a husband and wife through years as a witness to Jesus Christ. And when we discover what this is, what Christ does for us, what could be a more rational response than complete submission to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What could be more rational than that? So guys, that Christ has given us this divine example of the church. We need to understand that the family as God has designed it is worth defending in the public square. 
what has been given to us as marriage becomes a furnace for Christ-likeness. In all of its glories, in all of its joys, in all of its brokenness, in all of its pain, it is a furnace for Christ-likeness, a place for us to grow in Christ and to learn to love one another. Where else can submission be more difficult? Where else can sacrificial love be more difficult? Where else does forgiveness need to be even more intense or mercy more complicated? But when those things come through in our homes, where are they more profound? Where are they more profound? So guys, we realize this. We have to understand this as a church. We need to hang on to this. We need to defend this. Marriage is not just a matter of choice between people who just love each other. It's not just that. Now that more and more is our cultural understanding of what marriage is. Anybody who loves each other, and it's no longer limited to just two people who love each other, but folks who love each other can go get married. We understand that that's not this. That's not the mystery that Paul is talking about in Christ and his church. This, guys, is a divine arrangement that tells the story about how Christ loves us. So it's not ours to toy with. It's ours to live in. It's ours to become like Christ in. And so, guys, we also realize it's worth living out well working on it, doing what we can to treat Christ as the center of our homes. So we each need to play our part in this proactive submission, respect, and sacrificial love, not waiting for the treatment we think we deserve first, but to give what we are called to give, taking our strength from Jesus Christ. We inside of the church need to do what we can to honor each other's marriages and families, No predatory behavior belongs inside of the church. No dismissive behavior belongs here inside of the church. And we need to pray for each other, spouse for spouse, Christian brothers and sisters for Christian brothers and sisters. This is a place where we need to be for each other in our marriages and homes. And even whatever brokenness we bring into this place, we are for each other here inside of the church of Jesus Christ. And when we do... Guys, our spouses can be encouraged and built up. Our communities really can begin to see a difference inside of us. And all in all, as Paul says, Jesus Christ will be glorified. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.